This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I would say every four days we would have a little sit down with the Coyotes higher ups and they would just try to not so subtly get me to drop out of the game, offering me things, this and that, saying, well, what the NHL wants to do this for you. How, how can we get you to not play in this game? Money, trips, vacations, those sorts of things to the point where they were going to offer me a share of the winnings, uh, vacation anywhere in the world with my family, and a trip to Nashville to be a part of the All-Star festivities as long as I don't play. And I, it just kept making me more and more angry. It's like, I am, you know, I've been in the NHL for seven, eight years now. Like, I, I do kind of know how to skate, you guys. Like, I know I punch people for a living, but I do, you know, I practice with these guys all the time. I do know I can keep up. So it just was annoying. That's John Scott on The Drop with Arda O'Kell and our usual Wednesday, today Thursday, or this week Thursday guest, Greg Wyshynski uh, for MVSW Redux. That was a great interview, by the way, Greg. I watched it this morning, thoroughly enjoyed it. So many memories, uh, so many thoughts. Uh, maybe so much greater perspective now that we're a few years out of it. Um, first of all, good afternoon, Greg. How are you? I'm good now that John Scott exonerated us. <laughs> he's not he's not looking to punch punch you or punch me or or at one point throw me out of an elevator a glass elevator in nashville but uh but i'm good yeah, no yeah, i thought yeah, it was a yeah. great i thought it was a really great interview and and the clip that you just played there's a few moments uh within that interview and within that retelling of the story that i wasn't really aware of i mean i think everybody who followed john scott's all-star plate in 2016 knows that the the NHL leaned on him pretty heavily, uh, one person in particular at the NHL, uh, and that really kind of set off uh, John Scott in, insofar as wanting to participate in the All-Star game as kind of a uh, you know, comeuppance to the backlash he was getting. Yeah. But I did not realize that the Arizona so, Coyotes had been so vigilant in trying to encourage him to step aside and, and allow their own players to receive votes to the All-Star game. I didn't know that. Well, the one thing that I thought of right away when I heard John telling you that, you and Arda, was, is that not a CBA violation? Like, I don't believe you're allowed to compensate players anything more than their contract calls for. Mm, Potentially. I mean, it wasn't. I don't know. Like, like, there's there's a a couple of things that I've... No, it wasn't executed, but I mean, are are you even allowed to offer that? Like, I don't know, like to, to me, that's that's one of the things that as I as I look back now at, at the entire saga and listen to the interview that you and Arda did in that one specific section, like there are a couple of moments where I've wondered about CBA violations. Like I still and I know it's so long ago, but you know how petty I am, Greg. I still wonder how it was legal for Sidney Crosby to live with Mario Lemieux in his rookie seasons, <laughs> a rookie season and then extended like, wait a minute! Like he's the owner of the team. <laughs> he's the owner of the team. Like, I, how may, is maybe, that not compensating his, uh... someone above and beyond? And then I look at, and I heard John Scott talk about vacations and money to step aside. Like, is that even legal under the CBA? I don't know, but that's the first thing I thought of. 
It's possible that Mario's basement is uh, its own dwelling, separate from the rest of his mansion. So when when Sid had a cot down there, oh, the, the, it was a, a different the deal. Idea but... though is yes, I, I somehow uh, somehow I sure. a, I doubt that. Second, well, um, is anyone else being afforded that luxury as an incoming rookie for the Pittsburgh? Anyway, um, well, that no. was just the one thing no, that I wondered thing... about. Like that that adds a whole different different layer to it. It does, and and that's a good catch on your part because I was just more focused on the, uh, you know, the machinations of trying to encourage your player to step aside, you know, so like Shane Doan gets his vote. Uh, but there's that, and then the other thing that came up that was something of a conspiracy theory on the part of the fans that were voting for John Scott was the trade that sent him from from Arizona to Montreal, who then promptly demoted him to the AHL. In theory, yep. so he couldn't participate in the All-Star game. And our suspicion for a lot of us was always, oh, that happened because uh, someone orchestrated it. And John kind of said that one of the GMs involved in that trade told him it wasn't my call. So I, I, I think he's buying in on that conspiracy theory that there were greater forces in effect that created that trade in particular at that time. Like he said, I'm a fourth-line enforcer playing nine minutes a night not exactly top of the mind to add that to your minor league team he really believes that there were mm -hmm. some strings being pulled by someone to make that trade happen and potentially keep him out of the all-star game greg if only your company espn had any type of background in making investigative documentaries involving sports boy could they really come <laughs> up with something here too bad espn has never shown any proclivity to be involved in something like that um, listen, really interesting interview. And the, the one thing, because listen, like you, because uh, that was such a, a huge moment in our careers when we did MBSW and, and that ball got rolling, I've thought a lot about it. And I'll, I'll get to my story here in a couple of seconds. But one of the takeaways that I've kind of come around to, whether it's uh, talking to John, I remember we had a uh, we went out to, to dinner one night, you know, after all of this went down, and 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 talked about all of it, and then talking to people around the NHL, and then hearing your, you and inter, uh, you and Arda interview John. Um, the one thing that I take away from it now is that everybody was angry. John was angry. The NHL was angry. The only people that weren't angry were the fans. Mm. Out of all of this, like. John was upset in the process that got him there. A lot of people in the NHL were upset that he was there to begin with. I know that there were, you know, John referenced in the interview with you and Arda, talked about how he wanted different players doing, you know, different events. Um, and there were some people in the NHL, and I believe some players as well, even though some of the players might have thought that it was kind of cool and goofy, I think some might have thought that this was... This was an attempt to embarrass them. Like, why are you putting me in the hardest mm -hmm. shot? Like, I fire like 80 miles an hour here. This is just in, intended to uh, to embarrass me. Um, I got the feeling there was just like a whole lot of anger around the whole thing where I don't think you and I ever intended everyone to be angry about this. Um, the reason that I wanted to be part of it was that role, which was diminishing in the NHL. Like, let me let me give you my, my perspective of what I was thinking at that time, and, and you share yours. So my thought of it was, this is a role that goes back to, well, the first, 
The first person considered a true enforcer in the NHL was John Ferguson Sr. with the Montreal mm. Canadiens. Since then, there has been a, you know, a litany of players who were there to fill that role. There was a team, a highly skilled team, albeit, but a very tough team that won back-to-back Stanley Cups in Pennsylvania in 74 and 75, you know, who's, you know, had a you know, kind of a motto about, you know, we're going to, we're a skilled team, sure, but we're going to beat you up, take your lunch money, and they can't keep putting players in the box. So we're just going to keep beating you up. So this was a role, though, that was being diminished, and that role was on its way out. And to me, this was intended as nothing more than a sort of a nod or a wink or a thank you for all those people, going back to John Ferguson Sr., that have done that role before. One of them is going to the All-Star game, and John Scott became that guy. What was it like for you? Like, what was your motivation or your brain space at that time to try to get John Scott to the All-Star game? To see him try to keep up in three-on-three. Three. <laughs> I mean, like, that was that was part of the motivation. <laughs> it was like, I think the first year they were doing But three you know they're not going and, 100%, and, though. Well, but they're not going 100%. Like, he's going to be able to so keep again, up. So, again... I talked I talked to John about that. Like he he asked me, "What did you want to see? Like what was your reasoning for doing this?" And I told him that although putting him in that game was a goof on his skill set. And and the only apology that I'll make to John Scott in this is I think you and I probably overemphasized his uh skills or lack thereof for comedic effect, fully knowing that he's an NHL player who managed to stay in this league for quite a long time. And, uh, and and others yeah. that did his job didn't. You know, there's a lot of guys that punched their way into the league and didn't last nearly as long as John Scott did. So I think we probably owed him a, an apology for de-emphasizing his skills as much as we did for comedic effect. But I said to him, man, I said, look, as much as it would have been, you know, a goof to have you in the three-on-three, at no point did I think you'd be embarrassed. Like, it's the all-star game. Those guys are going to take care yeah. of him. You know, they're, they're not going to show him up. They're, they're going to be supportive. They're going to put him in situations where, you know, he's, he's going to be able to thrive as best he can. And, and that's exactly what we saw in that event. I mean, that's why he won MVP. They put him in situations to thrive, and, and thankfully, John Scott yeah. executed. The thing I was really, you know, curious about was putting him into the skills <laughs> because I knew he'd be at hardest shot. I wasn't sure if, like, puck control fastest skater were really going to be in the John Scott purview. And so that was where if there was ever going to be like a goof on a skill set, it was going to probably be in that part mm. of the event, but not necessarily in the game itself. But, but to, to, just to as a quick point, aside, though, Mary, but hold on. Yeah, go ahead. Well, to your point though, the other part of it was that I was really pissed off that the NHL ruined the all-star game voting. Like I was at puck daddy covering the Rory Fitzpatrick thing. And for those in the audience who don't remember that Rory Fitzpatrick was a Vote journeyman defenseman, right? There's a huge campaign to get him into the All-Star game. And there have been st- statistical studies done of the voting that show there was without question manipulation of the vote behind the scenes to keep him from playing in the All-Star game. And so that always really upset me. So the idea of, of having a, a go at the All-Star voting and, and trying to get something someone in that they didn't want in and to add a little chaos to the proceedings was always something that I was very interested in. And and I don't think it should go mm. un, un, unnoticed that the ratings were incredible for the All-Star game that year because John Scott played in it. Yeah. 
Um, just as a quick aside, and I want to get back to John Scott in a second, but this really is like there's there's just some moments where you figure I'm in the right space right now, and this is exactly what I should be doing right now. And the universe gives you clues like you should be doing this right now. Right now, I should be doing this conversation with you. You know why? Because trending in Canada at this moment, I'm going to click on it to see why. Trending in Canada right now um, uh, behind Predators at Maple Leafs, Chikrin, Freedom Convoy. But above Austin Matthews is the littlest hobo. For some reason right now, the littlest hobo. This is just like so bizarre to be. And the first tweet is, I have no idea why the littlest hobo is trending, but I'm here for it. That for Hey, that's Steve Clark. Oh, hey, right on from uh, from Niagara. Nice. Um, anyway, uh, back to the, the John Scott thing. I, I think I've, I've, I know I've mentioned this to you because we had this conversation when it was when it was happening. I remember talking to you saying like, I don't think that I'm long for this podcast anymore. I remember a show that I, a TV show that I used to do on Saturdays. So it was the, um, you know, we, we called it the world's greatest pre pregame show. Um, the higher ups wanted to call it hockey central Saturday. So that's what it was, but we always referred to it as, uh, the world's greatest pre pregame show because it was the show that came on Sportsnet before the pregame show for hockey night in Canada. And it was me, John Shannon and PJ stock, Paul Bromby produced it. And it was a lot of fun. It was great. And you remember, you know, you'll remember, of course, Greg, that Saturday afternoon when the first round of balloting was released. I think it was USA Today that put it out. And it was, the story was, John Scott leads all balloting. And I think you and I went, holy smokes. And it became the story on hockey Twitter, became the story uh, around hockey circles everywhere. So we spent a good portion of the show that day outside of previewing games as we always did on the show talking about how John Scott leads all-star voting. I didn't expect it. I don't think you expect it. I don't think anybody did, but this thing really caught fire. Not unlike what we saw with phenomenons like Bodie McBoatface. Um, (laughs) And during the, during the show, uh, me, John and PJ all got an email from one of the executives uh, saying, stop talking about John Scott right now and come and see me when the show's over. And it was like, mm. oof, okay, I wonder what this is about. Uh, and by the way, I do want to put out there, because I've told the story before, and I'm not seeing who the executive was, but it was not Scott Moore. Scott Moore has never interfered editorially with anything I have ever done. Um, so I remember, like, we kind of looked at each other and went, well, that's kind of unprecedented. You don't really do that while a show is on because it can, you know, upset the entire program, for example. And I remember going in and, and talking to this person who essentially screamed bloody murder at me for what I was doing. And, you know, it's wrecking everything that they want to do with the All-Star game. And I, st- like, I remember, like, leaving this person's office and going down the elevator at CBC and getting in my car and uh, calling my wife and saying, uh, I don't know that I'm going to have a job on Monday. They're really pissed off about this. Um, Because as rights holders, you know, we do the All-Star Game and as partners with the NHL, you know, this had really upset, you know, this one executive to the... To the point where, you know, I got a scream and pretty sure John and PJ got a scream in too. And I'm like, well, maybe there's work at the post office, work at the post office. <laughs> and I'll find out on Monday when they load up the, pa- the the fax machine with pink paper. So I thought I was losing my gig. 
I, I, yeah. I really did. Like, what, what do you remember, like, around that time? I don't want to get to other issues here, but um, what do you remember around that time about, you know, when that first round of voting came out and the John Scott phenomenon, like, had flypaper to it and fans were sticking, you know, and sticking to this idea of getting John Scott to the All-Star game? I thought it was awesome, but I also thought it would peter out. And I should say that, like, while you and I, I think, get the lion's share of, of starting the campaign and, and people that listen to the podcast, and there were a lot of them, uh, really kind of took to yeah. it. There was also Steve Dangle was involved. I mean, there was other people that were sort of pushing the John Scott thing, too, at the same time. And that really created this sort of coalition of, of online Twitter-using digital fans that all pushed this in the same direction. And... The thing I remember, though, dude, and it, and it does kind of dovetail into your emotional journey working for a rights holder. And by the way, just for the record, I don't know if this happened today, what the reaction would be from from my employer who has the show on their air. Uh, but I could probably <laughs> imagine that there'd be some conversations yeah. like the one you had insofar as like you're ruining everything because they, they like to have this thing controlled. And, and that's that's my point is that, yes. you know. The NHL got real bent out of shape because the thing that they were trying to control became chaotic. And it's one of the great sort of like, hey, leave the driving to us moments in my career. Fans know what they want. You know, the fans aren't trying to ruin something. They wanted to see something that they wanted to see. That's why you give them a vote. And so is it going to be good? Is it going to be bad? It doesn't matter. It's what the fans want to see in the game that you allegedly hold for their benefit. So they can, at one, at one point, mold and shape the rosters. Now, they, it's funny, like, years later, and, and this is one of the reasons I wanted to talk to John, years later, when John got elected to the All-Star game, the fans voted for four players. That's it. One player for each division. Yep. That is it. This is, like, light years away from the days when you punched out a full card at a game to pick who was going to be the All-Star game. The fans at this point had four players to vote for. Now, yep. it's a lot more than four. And, and it's getting back to where it should be. And, and so it was a pushback against that. And again, the reason this took off, Merrick, it's not because of me. It's not because of you. It's not because of John. It's not because of anybody else except for the Streisand effect of the NHL pushing back so vehemently against what was happening mm-hmm. that they created an even larger groundswell of support for this guy because now the word is out that they're trying to prevent him from playing and he's getting traded and sent to the AHL to prevent him from playing. And now you have to put him in the game because you at the NHL literally ran the risk of having an all-star game in Nashville and having outside of the all-star game in Nashville, people with picket signs like that was legitimately going to happen if John Scott wasn't put in the all-star wow. game. And that was the mess they created. So I'm of the belief that that specific phenomenon, John Scott, that rule, vote to the All-Star game, could have only happened once. And, yeah. like, that was the only like, – it, it, it happened, and you can't recreate it. It was that special moment in time with a special bunch of hockey fans um, with our little goofy podcast and Steve Dangle as well, banging the drum for him and other people as well. Like, that could only happen once so this time around for all-star here here's my thinking make the skills special so the two that i keep coming back to and one of them i had conversations about this morning 
I want to see Ryan Pulak in there for the hardest mm-hmm. shot because Chara is mm-hmm. no longer there and we need a new king. And I think Ryan Pulak can be that king. And the other is Martin Natchez for mm-hmm. the fastest skater. Right, because there's always who can beat the pace bunny. McDavid's a pace bunny. Oh, Dylan Larkin this and Jordan Cairo that. I want to see Martin Natchez in that as well. Do you have pet players that you are stumping for this time around? I I don't, but I I like your idea, which is that, and maybe this is just my own personal opinion, but I've always enjoyed skills more than the actual All Star game. You know, my favorite part of the All Star game is the same. Hundred percent. The introductions, the introductions of the All Star game, my favorite part. And, and so I love, I love the all-star game for that. And I watch it every year for sure, but I'm a skills competition guy just because it's something different than what you see in the actual all-star game. Um, it's, it's accentuating the skill sets of these players. So the change I'd like to see is for maybe fans to be either given a chance to pick who's in the skills or if the fans kind of shift their thinking and it being not like, oh, I would love to see Austin Matthews and uh, David Pasternak play on the same line, to I would love to see player X in X skills competition, and that's who's getting my vote. Like I, I would love to see that Bingo. philosophical that's shift. That's my thinking. Because that's what's really exciting about it. Um, so, But it's, the voting thing's interesting, because I agree. It, it's a one-time thing with Scott, just like it was a one-time thing with Rory. And... Um, they did something really interesting in the voting now that they've opened it back up to the fans. One, as we talked about on the drop, they have like a bill of rights sized number of rules uh, that basically <laughs> make it impossible for specifically John Scott to be in the All-Star game. Yes. The second thing, though, is that yeah. by naming one player for each team, it de-incentivizes the, the thing that fans would, what would want to do, which is to kind of like rally behind a goof candidate because... All right, well, we're we're putting like Marner in the game, but if you want to see Matthews, you got to vote for that guy. And so by not having all of their favorite players already in the game, um, now your your attention is elsewhere. Like your attention's not on getting you know some fourth line guy into the All Star game. Your attention is on like I gotta I gotta vote for Austin Matthews here. <laughs> I gotta vote for for uh, you know Marchand or whoever out in the Bruins. Like that's where your focus is right now instead of on any goof campaign. Uh, okay, and by the way, everyone, check out uh, the latest uh, edition of The Drop, the latest program uh, available at your YouTube channel, Greg, you and Arda Ocal with a feature interview with John Scott. It's really interesting, and I'm, I'm glad that the, the movie project isn't dead, and the idea of Hugh Jackman playing <laughs> yeah. John Scott is, <laughs> is pretty epic, I gotta admit. But I like, really like- do. It's not pie in the sky. Like there, there was a story in Forbes recently about how Hugh Jackman read the script, loved the script, wanted to do it, couldn't work out the details or yeah. couldn't work out scheduling wise. But Hugh Jackman remains interested in playing John Scott. And of course, the big news for the interview, Merrick, I'm in the script. If I'm in the script, that means you're in yes. the script. And so we could start fantasy casting uh, who who we could be. Uh, so I've already put it out there. I understand this has been the case for years. I'm a skinny Patton Oswalt. I've, yeah. I've completely understood this for life. <laughs> Someone said to play you, and I'm kind of fascinated by this. Yeah. Someone said get Willem Dafoe to play you. What do you feel about that? 
Oh, only if I can reenact the closing scene from Platoon, which I, which I always imagine what I that's exa- that's exactly what I looked like when uh, when I'd get hit by a pitch in minor league baseball when I was a kid. I would just go down like Willem Dafoe style. Like you just took like a little uh, off the shoulder or something, Merrick. You have to be so dramatic. Um, the one that I get more than anything else, the one that I get more than anything else is, and there's a funny line attached to this, is Ed Norton. That's oh, the one that yeah, I get to sure. the point where I got a text. I got a text from a buddy of mine two weeks ago, and he's watching an Ed Norton movie with his daughter, who's twelve, and like we're longtime family friends. And I had just been over there like a, a few weeks before too, and she's watching this movie, and Ed Norton appears, <laughs> and her line to her dad was, "Who's this guy? Looks like Walmart Jeff Merrick." <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> what so a great line. So there you go. That would, that so would, there you go. That John would Scott story. Hugh Jackman as John yeah. Scott. Yeah. Edward Norton yeah. and Patton Oswalt as your and favorite friendly neighborhood uh, podcasters. Yeah. There we go. Uh, one other thing that I want to, to mention, I know we only got like five minutes left here. It's a busy one for both you and me today. Um, Joe Sackick replacing Bobby Clark. Uh, in the Hall of Fame selection committee, to which right away I got when you when you tweeted that yesterday, um, right away someone tweeted me and said, "Finally, Jeff, you can get Adam Foot into the Hall of Fame," and that very well may be true. And I do think that someone like Adam Foot should be in there. Um, yeah. But what do you make? What do you make of? What do you? I mean, I know it's only one. Uh, I know we've always had the "Can they please be more transparent?" question. I think one day, somewhere down the road, as this. Universe, as this hockey world evolves to becoming at least a little bit more transparent like other sports are uh, about their halls of fame, um, do you think that this moves it in that direction at all? Or do you think this is going to have any effect whatsoever now that Joe Sackick is you know, someone who's you know, there to listen to nominations and vote on people and, uh, and decide on who should be inducted and who shouldn't? Well, first of all, I kind of wish it was another woman on the panel uh, instead of Joe Sackick, but that's neither here nor there. We know what the numbers are. I don't think it's going to affect yep. transparency at all because it's a it's a private business. I mean, that's the bottom line. I mean, I, I feel like if you have a a private business and and a and a you know committee that you've hired to kind of facilitate who gets in or who gets out, you're not relying on the media to vote or any of it. You're just going to keep it quiet. And and in the discussions I've had with hall of fame selection committee members in the past like off the record there is zero appetite to have these machinations publicized or scrutinized or have people you know banging on no their pr- door well, and saying first of all the, the, there, there there's no pressure there's no pressure for them to do so right there's also no upside from from no upside. any corner like imagine like, honestly, the I, I, again the, the, the No, go ahead. Here's the thing that I think. Here, here's yeah. the thing that I think. The older I get, the more I'm concerned about, and I've always been a big hockey history guy, and you know that, but the idea of documenting as much as possible for this game for the next generation. Like I've mentioned to you before, I think every general manager 
in the NHL has a certain obligation you know, as part of your role of running a hockey organization, running a franchise, to document it and maybe and when you're retired and everybody that you've dealt with or is all out of the league and they're all retired, to publish either a book or your memoir or something or document somehow how you ran that team so everyone from that generation can have an understanding of how that team worked and how the league worked. We all talk about sitting on the shoulders of those that came before. We don't know who's sitting on which shoulders because they, we don't know exactly what they did. And also, you know how in love I am with the alternative universe of the the National Hockey League, but that's for another day. Um, and I do think that when it comes to things like the Hall of Fame, I think that we should have an idea of who's been nominated and what the discussions are around that person. And I'm really curious mm-hmm. to see if someone, like the latest one that I'm really curious about is Tommy Anderson. So Tommy Cowboy Anderson in 1942 played for the Brooklyn Americans, okay? And he won the Hart Trophy on a last-place team. There's only been a couple of people that have done this, folks. And he won it as a defenseman. He was the first defenseman to win the Hart Trophy. There was no Norris Trophy then. Um, The team folded. His rights shifted to Toronto. But instead of playing in Toronto, he went to serve uh, in World War II for three years stationed in Calgary. That's someone that I'm curious if anyone's even brought up his name before because I think you do owe it to capital H hockey to at least have that transparent to know that at least someone like Lauren Shabbat or Tommy Anderson are part of the conversation. I go back to the to the Pat Burns debacle um, where they didn't put him in until it happened posthumously and and I think about if we knew what the votes were and we knew where he stopped in the voting cycle and and who was in support of him and who wasn't how miserable is life for that person (laughs) that voter like they are getting asked about it nonstop. they're going to get angry letters they're going to get angry columns written about them for not supporting a candidacy that has a lot of people backing it now i'm like you i want so so, so, hang on so 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 then so then don't take that position if you can't handle the heat that comes along with either voting or not voting with someone, decline if it's offered. Decline if it's offered. S- oh, see, these but poor the, kittens listen, are gonna they're gonna get but, their feelings hurt. I'm sorry. But Merrick, but but you see, as a, as a PHWA voter, there's another side to that, which is that you want the best people to be in those positions to elect the right people to the Hall of Fame. If if they believe that the juice isn't worth the squeeze when it comes to the, the amount of public pressure that'll be placed on them because their votes are not public and because these machinations are public, A, they might not want to serve, and B, you might get some some results you wouldn't otherwise get if it was decided behind closed doors. Now, this is just me devil's advocating but, because I am, I'm a journalist who wants full transparency in all of these things. Like, it, it angers me that we don't know why Alex McGillney hasn't gotten into the Hall of Fame. It's insane. I'd love to know why that hasn't been <coughs> the case. Who on that committee is stonewalling mm-hmm. Right. But I'm telling you that from their perspective, there's no upside in transparency and they and they don't have any, like you said, pressure to ever acquiesce to it. See, the thing I'm with you, I know we, we, we got to wrap here, so we'll end on this one. The thing about Pat Burns, and I can't prove this, so I'm not going to give out names. I believe it was two people that kept him out and it was over a mm. feud and it was out of spite. Right. And that's neither that's of these a big people of will too. confirm this, but there yeah. are two that I that I believe on the uh, on, on the selection committee 
that, that kept him out and it was only posthumously that he got in. And it was just done because of a petty feud um, when they were competing Look, against each other in the league. It is a classic Hall of Fame trope to say, was this person nice to me during his playing days? And that's why, hey, listen, that's why Eric Lindros went on a, a mea culpa good guy joining committees tour for a few years, you know, to ensure that he was smoothing some stuff over. Like these guys know, these candidates know what the deal yeah. is. It's like being elected the, to a public office. I get it. And the minute the Pavel Bure went in, if you're, if you are Eric Lindros, you say, Ooh, wait a minute. Similar yeah. numbers to me. Oh, hold on a second here. If I play this right, <laughs> Listen, right I think that, right, was, that exactly. one was long overdue, though. But it, Lindros was long overdue. Like, he should have been in, yeah. like, right away as far as I'm concerned. But again, again, yeah. coming right. back to petty feuds. Petty feuds, you gotta play the game. keeping people out. Yeah, play the game. Do you I think, think All right, James Cameron uh, wants to, to do with... talk shows? No, he knows he has to go on talk shows to get Avatar <laughs> and Oscar. It's the same deal. <laughs> That's a good point. All right. Uh, on that, we got to hustle. As always, uh, great interview with John Scott. You and Arda, please pass along my best. Just wonderful work. Uh, encourage everyone to check that one out. And we will talk to you in six days. We'll have our normally regularly scheduled Wednesday drop-in next week. Thanks, pal. Thank you, sir.